this is the in focus podcast from the hindu welcome to the hindus in focus podcast my name is sridham srinivasan and i am your host today we will now discuss about the new rules that the government has introduced to regulate the digital space called the information technology guidelines for intermediaries and digital media ethics code rules of 2021 these rules seek to provide a grievance redressal mechanism for users of social media platforms messaging applications streaming services as also digital news publishers these are stricter and more broader in scope compared to the existing rules to discuss the implications of these guidelines we have with us pranesh prakash co-founder of the center for internet and society and an affiliated fellow at ail law schools information society project hi pranesh the last time a government introduced rules to regulate digital intermediaries was way back in 2011 what the government has come up now with is a broader set of rules that targets not just the intermediaries but many others can you take us through what has happened and also the context behind them sure thing so for context i think you kind of need to go back uh further than 10 years um actually to a situation where uh, bazi.com Uh, which many people might not be familiar with, which was a precursor to Amazon.com in India as an online marketplace, was actually taken to court. And its uh, CEO was uh, made to appear before court for uh, something that a seller on that platform was selling. Now, the seller was selling a video clip that was non-consensual, and should have been removed but clearly when it was removed it isn't the the liability it isn't the mistake of the platform for it having been made available for a little while and it's after all a kind of uh, ebay kind of site where people can can meet each other or, or like uh, say for instance uh, now that has moved into amazon or quicker or olx and so on in order to prevent this kind of a situation where an entity which is not responsible for particular content is not responsible for particular unlawful act i should say is actually made responsible for it uh there was a need for a change in the law and thus section 79 was brought in uh through an amendment into the information technology act 2000 and this amendment was passed in 2008 in december of that year this section provides a limited kind of protection a safe harbor a shield to intermediaries and it uh which is a very vast term and i can go a little bit into what that means a bit later but it pro- protects them from being harassed it protects them from being held liable for content that other people 
have done uh, or have made or for unlawful acts, I should say rather, that other people have have done. And it uh, provides also for exceptions to this shield. And one of the exceptions is uh, if uh, the intermediary does not follow due diligence as laid down by the government. And so this document, uh, these rules, which were first made in 2011 and have been, you know, a renewed version of which have been made now in 2021, actually are those rules of due diligence which are to be observed by intermediaries to have a shield from being harassed for what other people do on their platforms. So that's a long-winded explanation, but I hope that makes sense. And in addition to that, in the 2021 version, the the government has also added uh, a new part to this. They've made these rules not only under the provision of the IT Act that covers intermediaries, but also the provisions that, that cover blocking of uh, websites and so on. And uh, under the general power of rulemaking under the IT Act, and they want to regulate other manners of online content, even those which are directly published and not going through uh, or not targeting intermediaries. So uh, online news publications are also targeted by this, uh, even when they don't act as intermediaries. a particular subset called publishers of online curated content are also targeted by these rules. And so it's uh, it's mostly to do with intermediaries, but not exclusively, is how I would put it. And mostly to do with rules that they need to follow in order not to be uh, held liable for third-party unlawful activities. So it's not just internet service providers and social media intermediaries like Google and Facebook, but also digital news publishers and streaming services, right? Absolutely. So uh, the term intermediary uh, is very broadly defined under the Information Technology Act. It covers any entity that essentially sits between uh, the end user and uh, anyone else. So, for example, uh, your internet service provider, which acts uh, in essence like a telephone line, which doesn't uh, see what you are, um, uh, you know, watching, what you are reading and so on, uh, if it's encrypted, you know, that is as well and as much an intermediary as an entity that provides for instance, the Hindu.com is a web address that needs to be translated into an IP address. The company that provides you with that web address of the Hindu.com with which you registered that address, they are also an intermediary uh, with respect to you, right? They are providing you services uh, and they are sitting in the middle between uh, those who are using that address and the Hindu website. And so they're an intermediary uh one example we cited in 2011, which still hasn't been accounted for, uh, for instance, is 
there can be decentralized intermediaries as well. Uh, for instance, there is a net, there's a technology called onion routing, and there are networks such as I2P and Tor, which allow for anonymized uh, movement of, of bits over the internet. So they are anonymizing networks. And those are also uh, intermediaries. Uh, when you, as an online newspaper, you allow for comments underneath articles, you also become intermediaries uh, because those are third parties who are posting something which is viewable by me and which is being hosted by you. So it's not just web hosts, people who are hosting content who are intermediaries, but a much, much, much wider range of actors, uh, most of which uh, the government hasn't really thought about when making these rules. Interestingly, we raised this objection in 2011, and in 2011, we proposed a, a count, we put out a counterproposal. We proposed a, a set of guidelines which actually take into account these differences between different types of intermediaries and apply different rules to each of them based on their characteristics and also uh, which were in compliance with the uh, constitutional requirements and protect uh, the constitutional uh, right to freedom of speech, which uh, we believed in 2011 when I was uh, part of the Center for Internet and Society that the rules did not abide by Article 19.1a and Article 19.2 of the Constitution of India. And even now, I believe that uh, it's quite likely that if this goes to court, then large parts of, of these rules will be struck down as unconstitutional. Is there a reason why this intermediary term has been used in such a broad way? Is there a precedent outside India? Uh, I can't offhand think of uh, this kind of an, uh, precedent. The term intermediary, of course, is common in, in laws outside of India as well. But if you look at uh, regulations in EU, for example, uh, it does distinguish between different classes of intermediaries. Um, if you look at the, uh, uh, for example, the um, Communications Decency Act in the U.S., it uh, actually also creates classes of intermediaries and doesn't apply uh, the same, uh, doesn't actually use the term intermediary to, to cover uh, all of, you know, all these different categories of actors. So uh, it is a term that is useful and with regard to protection, uh, you should cover intermediaries. But in terms of saying when certain actors are liable for uh, third-party unlawful activities or may be held liable, uh, you actually need to be a bit more specific. You, sh you can't say that the same set of rules will apply to all. Uh, for instance, uh, you don't want an ISP to be held liable when it can't even see what it's carrying in the case of encrypted traffic, which much of the traffic over the internet nowadays is. So why should an ISP even have to go to court and and say that we are not liable uh, for what others are transmitting through our networks, right? Uh, that's, that's quite ridiculous. Uh, why should um, entities which have nothing to do with content 
which aren't con- hosting content, etc., et be uh, made liable. And, and even if you are hosting content, the question is, did you exercise any kind of editorial control over it? And, and so we have a set of guidelines which go far beyond the issue of editorial control right now. Uh, if I may cite just one example, under these rules, you have to, if there's a cybersecurity incident, uh, you have to notify the government authorities. And if you don't notify the government authorities, you may be held liable for third-party unlawful activities. Uh, now, it's not really clear to me why the question of liability arises because there is a separate law on the matter, there's a separate regulation on the matter, which requires you to notify the government. And if you don't comply with it, then the consequences under that law should apply. Okay, and that are, those are also regulations made under the IT Act, as a matter of fact. But why should you be, uh, you lose your protection from liability for third-party unlawful activities just because you haven't reported a particular uh, incident to the Indian government, uh, you know, a cybersecurity hacking incident, say, to the Indian government within the time frame stipulated uh, in, in, you know, in the law. Like, uh, it makes no sense. There is no connection between these two. And yet, that is the way uh, the 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 regulations uh, under these guidelines are actually uh, framed. You mentioned Section seventy nine of the Information Technology Act, as also the U.S.'s Communication Decency Act, where Section two thirty is somewhat of an equivalent. This clause is supposed to free social media intermediaries of liabilities arising from not moderating content. How do you see both these? laws in the context of the new rules? The way <laughs> Section 230 of the CDA in the U.S. acts and uh, the way uh, Section 79 acts uh, with the addition of these rules actually becomes, uh, uh, you can say they're the opposite of each other. So under Section 230, you are allowed to remove content and you aren't required to remove content. Here, uh, with these rules, with the rules that were made in 2011, you are required to remove content. You are required to abide by, uh, you know, content rules that the government has set, which if it had put in an independent law would, you know, would not stand scrutiny of, of, uh, the constitution. So uh, to give you an example, uh, under Indian law, uh, let me give you a silly example, right? Uh, so in a state like Goa, gambling is legal. Casinos are legal and you may have advertisements for these casinos. Under these rules, uh, gam- you know, promotion of gambling is, is uh, something that intermediaries are required to prohibit and required to put in their terms of use and prohibit their users from from doing. So what the government can't prohibit directly, uh, because the central government does not have the power to ban advertising uh, for casinos in in states where it is legal, it is doing uh, through the back door 
by require by not directly prohibiting but by requiring intermediaries to prohibit and uh, requiring them to to uh, not allow their users to to do these kinds of activities so uh, in a sense it's it's uh, in my opinion a circumvention of the or trying to circumvent the limits that the constitution puts on what the government can and can't ban what would have made sense is for the government to pick up a few sets of uh you know issues which are clearly unlawful and uh say for example uh child sexual abuse uh, imagery and to tar- to have targeted regulations on those or uh to uh for instance uh if it wants to have something more general then to focus more on procedure because there is a lot of legitimate complaints from users of how the procedures for that various large social media uh, companies follow is opaque so you make a complaint it's not really clear uh, whether that complaint is being addressed or not what resolution uh, you know your complaint met with why uh, it was resolved one way or the other or if you you are on the receiving end if something you have uh, put out has is being blocked or has been removed then it's not always clear why under what uh, provision of their rules it has been removed under and and so on so to to bring transparency uh within this i think uh would have been would have been laudable and that too uh not for every company but uh, specifically certain large social media companies that operate within india uh but that's not what these rules do uh they go far 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 beyond that and so uh to uh, <laughs> address your question again it actually seems to me almost like the inverse of the communications decency act in the us and uh let us remember parts of the communications decency act in the us were actually ruled to be unconstitutional by the us supreme court and similarly parts of uh the information technology act uh and the older version the 2011 version of these uh rules were also held to be unconstitutional uh in india that's interesting if you, if you were to step back a bit and look at the larger challenges which probably would have forced the government to look at these rules as solutions how do you look at them over the last 10 years or so of course the, the challenges of fake news cyber attacks pornographic content and so on uh, are important as also i mean if you have looked at interesting solutions you have seen elsewhere sure with regard to a, a lot of these things uh, the first question we have to ask ourselves is when we object to content online are we actually objecting to the person who is putting up the content or the platform where that content is available because my answer most of the times is that given that the platform hasn't really edited the content doesn't really know about the content and uh, you know most of these social media platforms don't have a pre-vetting process in place and rightfully they shouldn't 
which is why they've been a boon for uh, for freedom of expression uh, worldwide. And uh, I have a you know I I often talk of a thought experiment whereby if you think of the number of people from India who've been able to uh, express themselves to a wide audience between 1947 to uh, 1997 and uh, compare that number okay uh, which is you know through all manners of radio and uh, newspapers and so on to just the number of people who in the uh, first uh, you know 10 or 20 years of the uh, 21st century have been able to express themselves to a wide audience the second number is much larger right so the internet has has really uh, expanded uh, what in a sense is the promise of uh, constitutions worldwide uh, that of freedom of expression it has really brought it uh, within the reach of a much larger number of people and not just people with say printing presses and that has brought with it a number of problems because uh, we don't actually always like what uh, everybody has to say even though we uh, want to protect uh, people's right to speak. And so the, the larger issue is how do you negotiate uh, these freedoms with uh, you know, rightfully passed uh, laws which impose limited restrictions on these uh, freedoms, uh, such as laws relating to, say, defamation uh, and so on. And... Uh, that really is, is at the crux of it, but then it manifests itself now thanks to the internet in terms of questions of whether something is, is a platform or a publisher, who should be held liable for that speech and so on. And so in my mind, it's clear that most of the time, uh, it's the person who is speaking who should be held liable for what they say not the entity that did not exercise any control and, and just hosts, provides a, a platform for people to speak. So uh, as an example, uh, I don't believe that, um, uh, that uh, in a public square that, uh, that uh, you know, the municipality should be held liable for what people say in a park. Or uh, similarly, I don't think a, a courier company should be held liable for what people send through their services, even if it be something illegal. Uh, the person who's actually doing the sending should be held liable. Now, that fundamental thing has not changed in the last 10 years. What has changed is the number of people who are uh, distributing objectionable speech of various kinds. Uh, much of which is already covered by Indian law and the uh, kinds of uh, prosecutions that we're seeing for this kind of speech in, in many cases for unobjectionable speech. And so the, the circumstances have changed, but the fundamental principles haven't changed. So we now are in a situation where we have far more examples than we did in 2011 of completely unobjectionable speech, uh, perfectly legitimate speech being uh, prosecuted by uh, by various police departments across India, 
the central government actually getting into the act, uh, forcing content to be blocked by ISPs, by by social media companies, etc. Even though that content may be perfectly legal uh, and without an iota of transparency. So, for instance, a, a news magazine's Twitter account was blocked uh, by the government without having to cite any reasons. Now, the government couldn't block a book without citing any reasons, yet they managed to do so under the IT Act. And there was pushback in in, uh, India rightfully for this. So the circumstances have changed. Uh, Concerns around uh, fake news, uh, disinformation campaigns and so on have increased. But uh, I don't think fundamentally there's been any actual change. Should the rules have been revised? Absolutely, yes, because the old rules were really bad and uh, and did not safeguard freedom of expression and were unconstitutional. Were the problems with the old rules actually addressed? For the most part, no. There were a few instances of uh, you know necessary course correction, but for the most part, m- most of the objections that we raised were not. We are not actually addressed. Do you want to talk about how social media intermediaries are classified and the burdens that have been imposed upon them? The rules talk about, uh, for instance, significant social media intermediaries, which is a new term. So there are three terms that are now used. Uh, There is the term intermediary, which, as I said, covers everything. There's social media intermediary, which covers those platforms which provide for um, more than uh, more than one person to communicate uh, amongst themselves. So, uh, for instance, even in, uh, you know, messaging platforms such as uh, Signal or uh, say I run a server uh, for two people for you know people to communicate using uh, a protocol called XMPP. Uh, even I am covered by the term social media intermediary and all of these rules apply to me. All those companies which have internal communication servers or email servers also become social media intermediaries. So even though the term social media is used, uh, the way it is phrased, all these uh, you know platforms that enable communication, including email, are actually covered. Then... Uh, and and to be clear, that's not just in India. Social media intermediaries could be uh, entities anywhere in the world, uh, even those that don't operate in India. Uh, and these rules apply to them as well. Uh, and then there are significant social media intermediaries. These are platforms which uh, operate in India, uh, meaning they have some kind of office in India, which is reasonable or those which have systemic uh, business activity uh, in India. And then, strangely enough, uh, the rules go on to define what systemic activity means, even though they talk about systemic business activity in the previous sentence. So, as you can see, the rules aren't really well drafted. uh, But uh, those kinds of complaints aside... Those, these are platforms which essentially are targeted at Indians. It's not clear who all get covered by that. 
and which have more than 5 million users in India. And uh, I believe it's a good thing to, to distinguish between significant social media intermediaries and, and others, but I'm not really sure uh, the these rules do a good job of it. Uh, they expose a new tension where a company that has customers across the globe has to have offices and employees in each of those countries if other countries also uh, implement laws such as this. So uh, to give you some examples, right? Uh, think about something like WeChat, which was banned in India some time ago. Now, WeChat does not target India. It does not have an office in India. But uh, a large uh, Tibetan community in India uses WeChat to uh, communicate with people outside of India. Uh, what about up-and-coming uh, platforms such as Clubhouse, which doesn't target people in India? They still, if they cross this threshold, uh, might need to have an office in India if uh, they have you know, systematic uh, activity in India. And it's not really clear to me that uh, what... what Precisely, that would cover and would not cover, and and so the idea of the internet as you know a space where a few people sitting in an office can can enable services you know across the globe will change with this, uh, and uh, and if every company sorry every country puts in place these kinds of requirements of, of needing physical presence in a country in order to do business there if you go beyond a certain threshold then uh, it will become very very difficult for uh, for social media companies and for any internet company indeed to uh, to be able to uh, to survive because that that would mean you know that that will only entrench the monopolies that we have because it will uh, make make it so much harder for other smaller entities to be able to, uh, you know, provide services to a large number of people. So these significant uh, social media intermediaries, they need to comply with additional set of regulations and requirements beyond what uh, other social media intermediaries need to. That includes uh, having a complaint tracking system, uh, includes having an office in India, includes having uh, to provide uh, notification of removal of content with reasons. This is something I, I actually support, uh, including an opportunity to uh, the entity to actually, uh, whose content is being affected, to actually dispute it. And so there are, there are some welcome provisions as well, which, which I think are actually good. Uh, but... Those, I'm, I'm not really sure, need to be put in, in these guidelines which deal with um, the issue of liability because this shouldn't be a matter of liability. They, they are required to, um, all social media intermediaries are required to report cybersecurity incidents to uh, the Indian government. So even those entities which are not, uh, which have less than 5 million users, uh, who might not be based in India uh, will need to report cybersecurity incidents, uh, even if they have nothing to do with India. 
and and so uh, those kinds of problems still exist uh, and this division doesn't really isn't properly applied throughout the rules so most m- much of the rules are applicable to all uh, intermediaries and all social media intermediaries in some cases uh, even when they should be applicable to those which ta- you know essentially target indians and and ones which indians are are largely using and those which have indian offices and so on then on to one other topic of about uh needing to provide information about originators of messages now this is a concern that has often arisen with regard to encrypted communications but uh it's going to actually take me a while to to explain this in in depth uh if we have time i'm i'm happy to should i get into it yes there is an end to end encryption in platforms such as whatsapp and signal and and even they say they don't have access to messages that users share the criticism is that it rules requiring the platforms to identify the originator weakens encryption and there is also a point that says that this has to be read along india's decryption rules how do you see this so uh we don't have decryption rules in india as yet there was a draft uh you know limitation uh, a draft set of rules for limitations being put on encryption in uh, uh 2017 or 16 if i recall correctly uh which did not actually uh which kind of died out uh and then we have provisions in the in the it act under section uh, 69 and 69b which uh actually provide for for various kinds of surveillance uh both of, of data and metadata but not targeting decryption um uh, or they do target decryption but uh they use very archaic language of subscribers and so on it's not really and and those haven't really been applied to the likes of whatsapp uh, and signal and messaging apps as far as i'm aware so uh what is this question what is this originator that that they're talking about well when the problem they try, they want to focus on the problem they want to address is a real one so uh that is when there are messages that contain either misinformation or which contain uh incitement to violence and that actually lead to to uh, offline consequences what do you do about it so we've had instances in india where uh target where uh, uh people of of different religions are targeted because it is alleged that they are uh that they're coming to your locality to kidnap children people of different uh gender identities uh, have been targeted people speaking different languages have been targeted in this manner so it is uh something that that's happened and this has resulted in uh several dozen deaths of of people who who've been lynched to death and and so it is very much a real concern we've had concerns with uh 
these kinds of platforms being used to share videos of uh, of people being raped. And that's of concern. Uh, we've had issues where uh, violence is is propagated through these platforms. But in what we often see, though, is that in cases of of uh, the perpetration of of violence, the incitement of violence, uh, whether through misinformation or otherwise, very often the government doesn't actually go after those who are actually committing the violence and and instead asks about those who are spreading the the message on on online and 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 so for me that raises questions about the motivations of uh, of the government and whether they are legitimate or whether they're actually targeted at end to end encryption and further there's the point that it's easy to track how messages spread if you are the police uh, if you confiscate someone's phone you can see who actually fought, like you know uh, forwarded that message so you actually have a phone number in in very many cases of someone who who forwarded a message so say uh, someone has committed some violent act has has engaged in in, in uh, offline violence you seize their phone to see if someone has actually incited them to do so and you can read the messages on their phone you can see who those messages are from that actually i don't know of of real instances where the government has needed to know originators of a message and is not in a position to actually dig it up through plain police work and and so it's unclear to me why uh this keeps coming up um as though it is some kind of intractable problem that the government doesn't have a solution for the good thing is uh in this case there are limitations put uh unlike in the in the earlier part of the regulations there are limitations put for when the government can actually ask for this kind of information but in my opinion those limitations still are not detailed enough and uh and we still need uh, uh we still need some clarity and and so but that's on the positive side on the negative side what happens to networks which are unable to uh do this kind of tracking so while whatsapp um and uh signal and and uh, messaging platforms such as those might know the immediate hop so they might know that a sent a particular message to b but they might not be able to say whether that message which was sent by a to b actually originated from x uh they might not be able to say whether it's the same message because it is encrypted and uh and they have designed their platform to prevent themselves from being able to identify these messages so in those kinds of situations are they now under an obligation to change how their uh networks work or when these kinds of requests come from the government are they uh 
is it is it okay for them to say that we don't have this information and it's not possible for us to provide this uh, this information would that in itself be uh, a violation of the law it's not very clear and what about anonymizing networks that i spoke about earlier like i2p and tor now those uh, uh you know those aren't uh as it happens so significant social media intermediaries but uh they might or actually very frankly it's not even clear to me whether they are or not uh they aren't under plain language they aren't significant social media intermediaries but under the the definition provided in the law if they have more than uh 5 million users in india and if uh you know people in india are actually running tor uh servers as there are people in india who who do that uh then can those people be targeted even if they don't know who originated say a particular email because the the design of the network is such that they can't know so what happens in those situations the it's actually quite unclear but just wanted to know that there are good reasons for why this question arises there are ways which are which don't need breaking of into an encryption to actually trace people and yet uh, we have these these rules uh, which uh, raise more questions than they answer and it's not clear to me whether they actually address the the problem that uh, that they seek to address we will take a break here and in the second part of the discussion with pranish we will talk in greater detail about the rules for digital news publishers and streaming services see you in focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues in the meantime you can find our podcast on spotify apple podcasts stitcher and other platforms just search for in focus by the hindu we'll see you soon